the biggest benefits of the Shrine Bowl watch list is it not only tells you who the pro scouts are valuing, but it also tells you who you need to watch in the upcoming football season. Oh, yeah, it's locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked on podcast network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor, current contributing writer at USA Today's Saints Wire. And I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day going on this journey with me. But remember, just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over. It just means it's time to follow me on Twitter at South Exclusive starts with an S ends with an S. Today's episode starts off with the Shrine Bowl watch list and the eight HBCU players who are on it. It ends off with Talladega College's path to reclassifying to the D2 ranks. And in between, we have Feature Friday with Alabama State women's basketball player Ayana Emanuel. But we kick it off with this Shrine Bowl watch list and the eight HBCU players on it because two of the biggest benefits are, one, it does allow you to know who the Pro Scouts are valuing, and then secondly, it also lets you get a little insight on who you need to be watching. So the Shrine Bowl is one of the things that I look at highly because every day, as you know, the way that I do a lot of my evaluation is I like to kind of predict what I think will happen when it comes to the draft. And usually I don't focus on that too much until about January, February. But this is my thought process in those times. I like to look and see what are the pro scouts thinking? What are the players that they're valuing or who are the players that they're valuing? Not so much just my evaluation of the player, because I like to think about what will happen, not just what I feel should happen. I ain't never went right thinking about what I feel should happen. I thought Isaiah Land should have been the first HBCU player drafted. Same with Marquise Bell. And look at what happened with those, right? So it's not about what I think should go down. It's about what I think will. But the Shrine Bowl is an important one because it's one of the three premier bowls. So you have the NFLPA Bowl, the East-West Shrine Bowl, and you also have the Senior Bowl. All of the HBCU players who have been drafted over the last two years most of the prominent players over the last two years have been to at least one of those three bowls. So when their name is on this list, you know, not only are they a good player, they are one of the prominent prospects in next year's draft. But that's a secondary thing, because like I said, not really even think about the draft until about January ish. The biggest thing is that it allows you to know who you need to look at, because let's be honest. Most fans cannot watch every HBCU game. You know how hard it is to watch every HBCU game, or not even every game, but just watch every team, especially if you already have a team that you want to watch. There are so many games that happen at the same time, and it can be hard to go through every one. I get it. You might not have time to check out all the OVC or Tennessee State's game in the OVC. You might not be able to check out a couple of games in the Big South last year, a couple of games in the CAA this year. You might not be able to check out all the MEAC or all this. There's a lot of teams. And we didn't even talk about the D2 ranks. 
So it's a lot of teams to try to cover and, 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 and make sure you know about all of them. So while you might not have time for that, you do have time to read a quick little list that gives you eight players. You do have time to check out Locked on HBCU, who's going to break down some of these eight players. So that's what we're here to do. Now, obviously, the headliners of this list, Khalil Baker, Davius Richard, the North Carolina guys are the highlighters of the list. We did Wednesday's episode, two segments about Richard. So I'm not going to really discuss him much here, but there was a great breakdown, in my opinion, on what he can do and what he, you know, what's missing all those things on Wednesday. So check that out. Just go back one episode with Khalil Baker. He's an all American, not an HBCU all American, an NCAA all American. He's an FCS all American. That's, that's important because yeah, there's no reason to devalue HBCU all American. But when you're talking about the whole country, it's just a bigger pool. That means there was more people competing for his spot and he was still able to get it. That's impressive. So you knew he was going to be on the list. If there's a prominent HBCU player list that doesn't include those two North Carolina Central guys, we're going to have to have a conversation on why those two aren't included. The next person I want to specifically highlight before we kind of go a little bit more rapid fire and go through the rest of the five names from that point is Willie Drew. And the reason I want to highlight Willie Drew is because he's the only D2 player on here. He goes to Virginia State. Defensive back. He came from James Madison, where he did register actually a couple of pass breakups, but it seems like that skill set has truly manifested itself in the CIAA because he's the best pass breakup artist in that conference. He led the league or led the conference in pass breakups. He was third in the conference in interceptions. So he's really been good at making plays on the ball. And he's shown that at Virginia State. He showed a tad bit of that in his first step at James Madison, but now he's really shown that at Virginia State. So I wanted to highlight the fact that there was a D2 player on here, and that's not always the case. So now let's get into some more of these guys here. And I'll go with the I'll go with the lineman. Now, you have Sundiata Anderson, who for the first time in a long time was healthy, and he was finally able to get a healthy season under his belt. I think he played more games this year than maybe his previous three years because he has a medical register. That's why he's able to play again. And if it, if it wasn't more, it's like barely less. It was definitely more than he's played in the last two years. So he's had injuries that have really derailed him. But in his first year that he was able to play healthy, he had double-digit tackles for a loss, about seven, seven and a half sacks. So you, you, so you see what he's able to do when he's able to stay healthy. It's just about staying healthy. Then you have Jablonski Green, who kind of has the same thing, but not really. You're looking at 2021. He looks primed to be the next Bulldog to win Defensive Player of the Year in the MEAC. He was coming off a really strong season, 19 and a half tackles for a loss, right? So he was a dominant force in the run, and you're looking for him to be able to continue that going into the next season. But you go into the next season, and now he's injured. And it's one of those things when people are injured, we tend to kind of forget about them. So, like, I said this about Paige Beckers. I was like, man, Paige Beckers still in college. I just thought she, she tore ACL, so she missed basically all of last year. And it's like, dang, this person's still around? But Jablonski Green is still around. Then you have on the other side the offensive lineman. You have Amin Donkwa from Howard. Sorry, Green came from South Carolina State. And um, Sunday Ida Anderson's from Grambling. So um, you have Amin Donkwa from Howard, mammoth of a man. Coach G draft HBCU family of the show, right? I'm always going to give him shout out, give him love. But 
that's one of his favorite players. So naturally, I'm going to keep an eye on him. But this is just a doubling down on somebody who I already trusted. So I didn't need this list. Coach G said, I was, all right, I'm watch. But then the other guy on the other side, fam, used Cardell Thomas. And when you look at Cardell Thomas, I think that he's the most fascinating guy on the list. Because he hasn't played at FAMU. Transfers in now. Played a little bit at LSU. But I think the expectations that are being placed upon him are really on full display. They're really on full display because how have you not played a down for FAMU? Yet, we still expect you to be on the Shrine Bowl watch list. Okay, we'll watch. We will definitely be watching to see what Cardell Thomas does for FAMU. Then maybe my favorite guy to talk about on here, K-Ron Prunty. And he's fascinating because he came over from Kansas. But it's not like he was a slouch at Kansas. A lot of times, these transfers, they got, nah, okay resumes. K-Ron Prunty has a good resume at Kansas his freshman year. Right? Seventh in the nation in lowest completion percentage allowed. You're looking at a player who was top 10, or excuse me, he had 10 pass breakups, the most as a freshman in the defensive back, as a freshman defensive back, the most in the country, right? Like you look at everything that he's done throughout his career. I kind of feel like he's perfectly set up to be an NFL draft pick. You look at the fact that he has these games against big 12 competition. You know what? I want to talk about this in longer form. I want to talk about this in longer form. So what we're going to do is Monday, Monday, we're going to have this be our lead segment. So it's been a while since I came up with something on the fly like that. But K-Ron Prunty and why he's perfectly set up to be an HBCU draft pick. We'll talk about that on Monday. And as we move forward, Alabama State women's basketball star Ayana Emanuel just got arguably the biggest award of her career. And it's not even based off of what she's done on the court fully. We'll dive into that as we continue with Locked On HBCU. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. And if you are a business owner who isn't taking advantage of LinkedIn Jobs, you are honestly failing your company because there are so many individuals on LinkedIn Jobs who are perfectly suited for your job. It's that last puzzle piece that you've been missing. Maybe there's a woman who's going to boost your customer service and now you have a reputation that's different. Maybe there's a guy who in a certain field is so qualified that you didn't know that that was the one thing you needed to elevate your business. There are so many things that you could find on LinkedIn that you don't get the advantage of if you're just taking random resumes. People come in like, that's not a fit. I can tell that person's not a fit. Meanwhile, you can vet that person on LinkedIn jobs. You can look at everything they've done. They have everything about them on there. So you don't even have to waste your time with a 15-minute conversation because you can already look and tell that person isn't a fit. That person is a fit. So go to LinkedInJobs.com slash LockedOnCollege. Use the purple hashtag HiringFrame, and you will be able to post your job for free. All you have to do is go to LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnCollege, and you can post your job for free to get, a, get to excuse me take advantage of the millions of people who are on there on a daily basis. As we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day. Every day, as you heard, we have an impromptu decision that K-Ron Prunty and the fact that he's perfectly set up to be an HBCU draft pick 
in next year's draft will be the discussion on Monday's episode. But right now, Ayana Emanuel has just won the SWAC Women of the Year. And this is arguably the biggest award of her career, right? Because this is the second time she's won something this offseason. It started off with being the SWAC Women's Basketball Player of the Year. The Alabama State Star had a really good season. But, you know, I think that this is bigger than that. For one, it's a bigger pool, right? It's kind of like what I said with Khalil Baker. Yes, you have the HBCU All-American, but then you go to the NCAA All-American, you're competing with more people. So it makes it even bigger of an accomplishment. That's kind of the same here with Emmanuel, because you look at her, she was competing against just basketball players to be the Women's Basketball Player of the Year, right? No brainer. But when you're the Woman of the Year, you can, you're competing against basketball, softball, volleyball, right? Golf. You're competing against track and field. Like you're competing against all these sports, yet you are the winner. So to me, this is already a bigger deal. But then second, this is just more than what she is as an athlete. When you get this type of award, to me, it's the epitome of student athlete. We don't really do that often. Because, I mean, like most times, why am I going to sit here and talk about what Ayana Emanuel was doing in the classroom? I don't know that. Like I'm not sitting in class next to her and be like, well, you know, I've seen her in, in math class. And let me tell you, man, she she really knows her equations. Like, I'm not doing that. We're sitting here talking about what she's doing on the court. It's an athletic podcast. Like, that, that's what we're doing here. So it's not like it's to fault you. But then also when you go deeper, it's also like they're kind of treated as an athlete first. But when you look at someone who has excellence in the classroom, in addition to her excellence on the court, on the field, whatever the sport is, because this isn't just about Emmanuel. It could be anybody, male or female. I think that's when you really feel like, okay, this award is different. I look at it in the NFL, right? As far as NFL terms, you're looking at the Walter Payton Man of the Year. And many people would say that's the best award in the NFL because it looks beyond what they do on the field. It takes the helmet off and it actually evaluates the person. And a lot of times it's humanitarian acts and things like that. I'm not expecting Ayanna Emanuel to be rebuilding houses that were destroyed by hurricanes. Like, I don't think that's what she's doing. So it's a little bit different. But the point is, both of these awards look deeper than just what you've done as an athlete. They look at what you've done as a person. And as a person, we can focus on her as a student because she's in college and school is a big deal. So when you look at her, she's been in the honor society the last two years. She's been on the dean list two years in her, in her collegiate career. So those are the things that we're going to Highlight. These are the things that we're going to say are great because, listen, especially playing basketball, the amount of games that she has to play, the amount of travel, the amount of practice, just the amount of load during the season that she has to take on. It can be difficult for you to also be able to balance your work in that way and with that much success. But she's been able to do it and that deserves praise. And that's the praise that we get. Now, of course, on the court, she did a thing. Like I said at the beginning. She's the SWAC Women's Basketball Player of the Year. You don't get that by being a slouch. So it's not like student is just absolutely carrying her in this. It's an equal balance. Dean's list, honor society, player of the year, leading scorer in the conference. I think it's kind of an even, an even balance there, right? But that's what she's been able to do on both sides. And then in addition to that, if you're looking at team success, if you really want to validate some of her individual stats, her 16.9 points per game was able to lead Alabama State to this log jam where I don't know the tiebreakers. And we know that tiebreakers matter, right, everydayers? We know that tiebreakers matter. 
but they were in this log jam for second in the swag. It was like four teams who were 12 and six. For some reason, I want to say they were the three seed. I could be wrong. Don't marry. Don't, don't, don't quote me on that. I'm not married to that idea, but yeah, they were one of the four teams that was tied for second at 12 and six in the conference. So she had a great season. Alabama state led themselves to a really great season. This was, I'm not gonna say obvious because I ain't evaluate everybody, but I think that this was a good call for SWAT Woman of the Year. So congratulations to Ayana Emanuel and everything she's been able to, able to accomplish as a student athlete. And going forward, we're gonna talk about all the student athletes that were hoping to make it to the D2 ranks, but they're gonna have to wait one more year because Talladega College is going to need a little bit more time before they start their reclassification process. And we'll dive into that as we continue with Locked On HBCU. And as we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked On HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day, making it all the way to segment three. And I thank you two times for that. Now, we need to evaluate Talladega College's new path to the D2 ranks because right now they're in the NAIA, right? They're in the SSAC, and they're trying to move up to the D2 ranks. So they're going to leave their conference. They're going to leave their classification, their, their subdivision, and they're going to move into the NCAA, which will then put them in the D2. And most of us assume that they're going to go ahead and join the SEAC. It just makes the most sense. I think I heard something about their volleyball team, men's volleyball team attempting to join the MEAC or the, the SEAC, excuse me. So it just lines up that that's what they'll do. But all of that is speculative at this point. But what isn't a speculation is the fact that they're trying to join the D2 ranks. They applied. They did not get accepted in this season. So let's work through the timeline. And I, when I went back and looked at the timeline of events, because I can just know that Talladega is trying to move up, but I had to looking okay this started in february that's when they made their intentions clear i'm sure they didn't just think of it and was like let's say it immediately so let's give them a little bit of time let's push it back to december i'm not going too much farther than that they just got a new athletic director they just got a new person who's going to really be pushing this forward right so i'm not going to say that this was beat before his term because then they had to, even then they would have to readjust and see what they're going to do and, and, and tool the plan with him. And that happened in August. So I'm going to say December. Give him some time to get some stability. He had to hire some new basketball coaches. They had to restock the roster because there was barely any players on the roster after the coaches left. I'm going to say December. That's when he first started getting some stability. That's what I will say was the beginning of maybe their process. So from December to July, you know you need to add sports, multiple sports. That's an S on the end. Starts with an S, ends with an S, right? Ports, port in the middle. But no, seriously. In that time frame, I just don't feel like you had too much time to really do everything that you needed to do and do it well. For me, if you can't make a sustainable move to the D2 ranks, you don't need to make it. There's no need to go up to D2 and just in a couple of years realize, ah, we're not ready. We need to move back down. No, when you move up to D2, you need to be prepared to stay there forever. Maybe even move up. Maybe even go to the FCS ranks. Then maybe go up to the, to the FBS. Like, like, those are the things that you need to be looking at. And I know I'm speaking in, in 
football terms. If you go basketball, it's just D2, D1. But those are personally the things that I think you need to be looking at. But you go from February when you make your intentions clear, maybe December when you really start planning. I don't believe that you had enough time to add the amount of teams that you wanted to and actually feel confident in them. I can add a, a basketball team to my repertoire. Guess what? I ain't going to feel confident. I can add a volleyball team to my repertoire right now. I can start building up my own little intramural teams. But if it's not sustainable, if you can't prove that you're going to be able to continue this, it doesn't really matter because the NCAA has to approve you. You can't just make the decision, I'm moving up to D2. Okay, I'm D2 now. That's not how it works. You know, so, and I, I did have a source tell me that it was the addition of teams that held this back for at least a year. So expect them to try again next year. Maybe next year when they list out the teams who made it, it'll be Talladega. Because they had, I believe, five teams make it. And I think all but one was a D3 team who was already in the NCAA. You had one NAIA team. So it's not an easy thing. And Talladega needs to do more. But what did they need to do? Because we need to evaluate what is the path. Because I think without that, we might end up in the same place. Personally, I think they should take at least two more years before they even start this process. I just feel like being able to add these teams and be viable, you don't want to rush that because it won't be viable. Like I said, I don't think this process started much earlier than December. You know, I didn't hear too much about Talladega trying to reclassify before this new athletic director. So that, that's, that's what I'll say. And it definitely became a story around February. You're going to need more time than five to seven months. That's just not enough. I don't even know if a year is enough for you to be able to do the things that I was talking to a, a friend of mine who I really trust his opinion. And he was saying the things they need to do, fundraisers for the teams, hire a coach or two, make upgrades to the facility, multiple facilities. Now, the important part here is that you don't have to be completely ready to be a D2 school by the time that the NCAA approves you because there's a three-year ramp-up period before you're even officially a D2 member, right? The fundraisers, the hiring a coach, the making upgrades, specifically the upgrades, you can say these upgrades will be done by 2025. Okay, cool. That'd be one year into your ramp-up, one year into your onboarding process. I think that what's the important part is you have to show a plan. You have to show some sort of concept that the NCAA can buy into or they're not going to accept you. You don't have to be ready. You have to show that you have a plan to be ready. And if Talladega can do that, if Talladega can show the NCAA, this is what we're going to do. This is what we've already done. And this is what we're on the way to do. Yeah, they might be accepted next year. I personally think that they should take two years. I think that they should take a little bit more time. But if they have to hire a coach or two, have to do some fundraisers, have to start making upgrades, and they can do all of that in a year. Cool. But either way, it does not sound like Talladega College is going to stop trying to make it to the D2 ranks. I just suggest that they take a couple of years, and this is the new path that they're going to have to walk down. Now, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day, getting into the Shrine Bowl watch list, getting into Ayana Emanuel's biggest award of her career, and then really getting into the inner workings of what Talladega College is going to need to do 
in order to make it to the D2 ranks. I appreciate you for sending through all of this and making us your first listen of the day every day. I truly do appreciate that. On Monday's episode, K-Ron Prunty is perfectly set up to be an HBCU draft pick, and we'll break that down on Monday. But in the meantime, in between time, until the next time that we hear each other family, take care, stay blessed. Peace.